Welcome to this episode of More Shenanigans with James and Donna Moore. I'm Donna Moore. And I'm James Moore. Roberta A. Drury, 32. Margus D. Morrison, 52. Andre McNeil, 53. Aaron Salter, 55. Geraldine Talley, 62. Celestine Cheney, 65. Hayward Patterson, 67. Catherine Massey, 72. Pearl Young, 77. Ruth Whitfield, 86. These are all of the names of the people that were killed on Saturday, May 14th in Buffalo, New York. And these are the names of the three people that were injured. Zaire Goodman, 20. Jennifer Warrington, 50. Christopher Braden, 55. You know, ladies and gentlemen, we've been doing this podcast for a short time now. We've been having fun with it. But today we're going to be discussing a subject that is quite serious and needs to be discussed, but ironically also has been discussed a lot in this country with no results, with no force addressing, really making change in addressing the issue, which is the reason why we find ourselves talking about it over and over again. The ten of the names that, that you heard just now or the names of people that were hunted down and killed. Murdered. Murdered by a terrorist. And we're going to discuss a little bit how terrorism is being allowed to exist in this country and I won't say supported by the US government but not not challenged it's not being challenged by our government it's not being challenged by our government in a way that if that was a brown-skinned person with a foreign accent that worshipped a different religion than the majority of the United States population does and came over here and killed 10 white people, they would immediately been called a terrorist act. Immediately. Okay, so going from the top to uh, lay down the foundation, Donna, where... Where were you and what were you thinking when you heard about what happened in Buffalo on the 14th of May? I, you know, initially I, I, I looked to see what exactly happened. I just heard that there was a shooting. You know, of course, I, I wanted to see like what, what the context was, what happened. Of course, it's a tragedy regardless of the context. But when I found out the details of the situation, that this man had been for months for months, had been online where anybody could see him talking about this type of thing. And then he drove four hours. He took four hours out of his life to drive to another city, specifically to a majority black neighborhood. And he walked into this store with a gun that a military person would carry in war and took the lives of as many people as he could possibly do simply because they were existing in their blackness. Okay, and what was going through your head? The first thing I thought was, why was he not stopped by the FBI, the state, something prior to this, just from his online existence of the stuff that he was posting on social media, first of all. And second of all, where does this hate come from? I don't understand. I never will understand where this kind of hate comes from. And and the most important thing that I thought of was, oh my God, these people's families. And oh my God, here we are again. Here we are again and again and again. And I will never be desensitized to this. But sadly enough, I think there are millions of people who are desensitized to this because it doesn't affect them. And it doesn't, it's their thoughts and prayers again are with them, but thoughts and prayers do nothing. Where were you? What were you thinking? Or what were you thinking? Doesn't matter where you were, what were you thinking? 
Well, I was thinking when I initially heard about a shooting and that it was racially motivated, someone at work told me about it. And this is not being said to belittle what's happened or to belittle the the grief and the suffering that people are going through. But my first reaction was an eye roll. And here we are again. What I belittle is the reaction to it. That's what's belittled because it's little. Now, this is the hypocrite talking to you because I guess I could throw money at this. I could join organizations. I could start a podcast about it mm-hmm. and, and talk about it. I can discuss it with people of influence. But I guess so far up until now, all I've done is complain. I got to yeah. say this. All I've done is complain. And maybe this is going to be the wake-up call for me. Maybe this is going to make me go out and sign on some dotted line and wear a T-shirt and hold up a sign and say that this is enough because it's a it's too much. It's way past it's way past enough. And when someone goes into a movie theater at random and shoots up the place, that's tragic. That's awful. You know, it's it's horrible when it happens in a in a school, in a movie theater, just because someone is imbalanced, that's a horrible thing. But I want to make a point that this is different. This is different than those other tragedies. It's all tragic. This is different. But we're talking about somebody hunting someone else down like their their game on a reservation. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about somebody that wants to extinguish other human beings who look and sound a different way from them. And I'm not going to say that I understand where that's coming from. I'm not understand the hatred where, where the hatred is coming from. But I, but I do understand that nine times out of ten, hatred comes from fear. Absolutely. And when you make that fear generational, when you pass it down as a heritage from one to the other, it becomes something that's cherished mm-hmm. in that line. You know, <clears throat> so if you tell your children, well, you're supposed to hate these people or even love these people, you can create a heritage just by your influence in the family. Mm-hmm. And that's what's being done in this case. Yes, I think that I think you're right. I think. The rhetoric, the fear rhetoric that um, black people are wanting to take over. Take over what? I mean, it's, it's you know, take over what? What are they going to take over? There's just a fear of difference. Uh, you, there's just a fear of difference. And the, the fear turns into to the hatred, like you were saying. And I think... There's rhetoric within families. There's rhetoric within local municipalities. There's rhetoric within state municipalities. And there's rhetoric at the federal level of this fear of difference. The immigration fear is that they're coming here to rape and pillage your women and to take over all your jobs and all of that. And is for the people of color, black people mostly, but just people of color in general, for generations, generations as far back as this country was built on. And yes, this country was built on the backs of people of color. This country would not be what it what, what it is if it was not for the slave labor of people of color. And I don't mean just African Americans. I mean all people of color. The They learned how to bathe themselves. We did. We did. We white people learned how to bathe ourselves from the indigenous people of this country. They taught us how to clean our bodies. They taught us how to grow things here. They would have starved to death if it wouldn't have been for the indigenous people that they murdered once they got out of them what they wanted. This country would not have been able to prosper the way it has prospered if it wasn't for the whipped backs of black people that they stole from their con- from other countries. 
And these black people were not slaves. These people were kings and queens and doctors and and attorneys of sorts in their cultures. They were artists. They were engineers. They were all kinds of different people within their culture and they were stolen from that. Yes, they were sold by their own people. Yes. So don't come at me with that because I understand that, but they were stolen, brought to another country. Their culture was beaten out of them and they were forced to work for free in to, to prosper another group of people. And this country was built on that. The Chinese people were brought here and were forced to build railroads. Now, yes, they got paid. Great. But they got paid. It was indentured servitude. They were not getting paid a living wage to build these railroads. Their women were used as prostitutes. Their men were used to build the railroads, and they were forced to go into unsafe spaces to blow up mountains to put the railroads through. This country, Make America Great Again, was never great, would have never been great without the backs of people of color. So it's important at this point to make note of the fact that if you haven't seen the actual the photo that's associated with the podcast, I'm an African-American male. My wife is what you would call white or Caucasian, Caucasian female. And we're both in our 50s and we've seen and done things that we think is important to share. And right now we're sharing our experience with, with the shootings. Now, the specific core of what's triggering this is what happened in Buffalo, but we we really addressing a larger issue as far as what made this happen, why it's, it's continuing to happen, and and why, quite frankly, it's going to be a while before it, you know it really gets addressed. Because you see, this latest incident is part of the hate game. There's yes. a game and rules to the hate game, and the number one rule is you gather a group of people together that are like you, and you point to another group that is not like you, and you say their existence means your ending. That's right. Okay? That's what you lay down. That's the groundwork that you lay with your people to make them hate somebody else on a generational scale, saying their existence and what they're doing, the fact that they exist will end you. It'll end your life. It'll end your, your lifestyle. Everything that you that you love in this world is going to be in danger because of them. If we we get rid of them everything will be okay right so, and or, that's or if we keep them if we keep them oppressed everything will be okay well in this case what i'm talking about is, is getting, getting rid, rid of, of them. because yes. you know you don't oppress people with a bullet you kill people with a bullet that's right that's the that was that's the goal right. of this person that went up in the buffalo now there's a whole other issue of keeping people down mm-hmm. you know and trying to do that long term which never works historically let me tell you ladies and gentlemen you can't put your foot on people's necks, but for so long before they decide to rise. Before up. they decide to rise up on on you, and it may take decades, it may take centuries, but it happens. But we're talking about the incidents. We're talking about the situation where, just like that person that wants to go duck hunting mm-hmm. or hunting for deer, there are people in this country that's hunting for people of color to extinguish them. Not to eat, but just to eradicate. Yes. Like a nest of rats that they want to get rid of with their twenty two rifle. They're going to shoot them all just to get rid of them because they're a pest. That's how, how they're seen. All right. So we've talked about what's happened, where we were, what we feel about it. So what's next? Well, I think 
you know, this all boils down to the controversial subject of systemic racism. Systemic racism does exist in America. Whether any of the listeners, some of the listeners don't want to believe it or not, it does exist. It exists within financial institutions, within the housing industry, within the job market, within uh, the medical field, um, absolutely everywhere. It is pervasive. But, but wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We we live in a free society. We all get the vote. You know, everything's everything's even there's, there's so many there's so many laws protecting these people, people of color. How can you possibly have systemic racism when we got all this stuff going for us? Because this country, as I said previously, was built on the concept of white privilege. It was the the men who built this country, the majority of the men who built this country, the the founding fathers that we lift up so highly in this country, the majority of them were slave owners. One slave, 20 slaves, you know, they all were slave the majority of them were slave owners, not all of them, but the majority of them were slave owners. And this country was built on lifting up the white person and oppressing the people of color that were used as the labor force, whether free or indentured servant, to build this country. And when when slavery didn't work out anymore, and that was abolished, then they put in the Jim Crow laws, which were legal ramifications. They were laws that were put in place by who? By white men to keep the slaves who are now free, the the people of color who are now free could no longer be called a slave, to keep them in their place, quote unquote. And it was done by different, all kinds of different things. They didn't let them vote. They had to take... um, what are they called? Those voting tests. I can't remember what they were called. They were asked ridiculous questions. There's redlining. Just look that up. We don't have time to talk about that now. That's in the housing market. Redlining then, that works its way into the financial market because they're not allowed to get loans for homes or businesses, that type of thing. Yeah, but, you know, that whole founding father thing, that's like almost 250 years ago. And we don't have Jim Crow anymore. So surely things have changed. But those laws haven't changed. Those laws are still in place and some new laws have been put in place and gerrymandering we we've all heard about gerrymandering and if you don't you've heard the word or the phrase but you don't know what it means look it up gerrymandering is a simple is simply to keep a certain group of people out of this voting area for a certain demographic or a certain party because they don't want certain people voting because that's going to change who they want voted in yeah, but and redlining, redlining is still in effect. It's not legal anymore, but it is still in effect and it is still being used today. But gerrymandering and redlining all has to do with, you know, where somebody's living. Why don't, why don't those people just move to another neighborhood? Yeah, and they move to another neighborhood. Well, first of all, they can't afford to move to another neighborhood because they've been forced into low-income areas. And in this country, granted, whether you're white or black, okay, if you're a low-income person, person in this country and you pay $1,200 a month for rent and you've been doing that for five years, the bank, the financial institution won't look at that and say, oh, they've been paying $1,200 a month in rent for five years, but they can't afford a $750 mortgage per month because it's not looked at the same. Being a renter, quote unquote, is looked down upon in this country because you're not a homeowner, but you can't become a homeowner because you're not, that, that isn't taken into consideration, even though you could obviously afford it. And within certain communities of color, 
and low-income communities as well. It's not it's not all about the people of color. It is that this this particular conversation that we're having is focused on that, but it does have to do with low-income people in general because in those communities there are several people that have all kinds of great ideas for businesses that they could start to be able to build wealth for themselves and also uh make jobs for other people in that community. But they're not allowed to get loans because the financial institutions feel that they're a risk for whatever reason. It's a redlining of sorts, but within the financial institution. Right. Okay. So I've been playing devil's advocate and I've been mouthing off some of the things that I've heard thrown right. back at me whenever I talk to someone right. of supposed intelligence <clears throat> about the issues that we're talking about. So now we're at the point where we say, okay, let's say that everything you said is right. What's it going to take to make a change? Do we even know that? Well, first of all, we do need to vote out the old white guys. Not all the old white guys are racist, but we need to have some fresh thinking people in all areas of government, local, state, and federal, across the board. We need to have diversity in our government. We need to have women. We need to have LGBTQIA um, representation. We need to have people of color representation. Um, All people of color, indigenous, Asian, Asian Pacific American, African American. You know, we need diversity. Women, uh, all kinds of people. Men, white men. We need. We need. Every, everybody needs to be represented. But unfortunately, if you look at our senators and our congressmen and our state representatives and our local municipality representation, it's not very diverse. There's a lot of white people, a lot of old white men telling everybody else what to do. Right. And one thing that I'll say is this, is that because of gerrymandering and which is basically politically redlining. That's all, Yep. Okay. Those things that you're saying must be done. It has to be done so fast. It has to be done so quickly so that the opposition, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say the enemy, so that the opposition doesn't have time, time and that to oppose means it. You're to oppose it. And what that means is numbers, ladies and gentlemen. We need numbers yes. as far as people that want to make this change to use the system. Basically, you know, I'm, the founding fathers weren't 100% evil, okay? No, they weren't. What they wanted to put in place is some kind of system of government which has been warped, let, let me tell you, mm. out of the original Green. intent mm-hmm. to to have some kind of system in place so that people can recognize what needs to be done, the people in general, and make that change. Because no one, no one was supposed to make a career out of being a congressman or, a or being a senator. It wasn't supposed to be a lifelong appointment, but we've made it that. We, the voters, have made it that. The the people have have made it that by by accident. Yes. Okay? And what needs to be fixed, with the olden days, somebody would get off their farm, okay, I'll serve the government for a couple of years, and then go back to my farm. Now, because of the system we have in place and the lobbyists that fuel the system, Mm. being a senator is a lifelong job where you make a whole lot of money during and even after the fact. And you're not, and they're not making their money from their senator salary. No, their pockets are being lined by the lobbyists of the oil companies, the pharmaceutical companies, the NRA. The pot, that's where they're becoming millionaires. Yeah, and you can be sure that they're not getting their health care where you're getting your health care. Right. Okay. So what I have to say is, we don't need burn buildings to the down down to the ground revolution. We don't need that. 
but we need numbers and we need action. And the action has to take form of getting together and having conversations and doing things at a social level and a political level that will make that change so fast that the opposition will not have time or the power to react. That's what has to happen. What form that exactly takes, I don't have all the answers. I don't know exactly what to do, but I do know that you can start by having conversations with people around you to see what can I do. And the and there's a sense of urgency with this, people, because before you know it, it'll be 20 years down the road and you'll be seeing the same headlines that you're seeing today. And I think that a couple things that I know that I have done in the last five, six years And I know that can be done. It's not comfortable. It's not easy. And it's not fun. But we need to hold people's feet to the fire. If you are an ally of sorts, um, if you're, if you're, now I'm going to speak to the white people of the audience, okay? Because that's who I can speak to. Because that's who I am. Those are my people. Sometimes I don't appreciate those people in general. And I'm going to say as a whole. But I know that there are a group of us, Caucasian people in this country, that are allies to people of color, indigenous people, Asian people, LGBTQIA, whoever, okay? I know that we're allies. And as an ally, we can't just sit back and say, oh, I, you know, and wear a t-shirt and say, oh, I appreciate you and I love you and whatever. We have to get uncomfortable sometimes and stand up and say, no, that's not right. Like, here's a prime example. I saw a video the other day. It was an Uber driver. And man pulled up to his pickup. This couple got in, the, started getting in the car. They were an owner of this particular restaurant. And the lady got in the car and the Uber driver said, hey, how you doing? Said her name, said his name. And she said, oh, thank God. You're not one of those people. You can actually speak English. You're not one of those kind of people that, you know, can't talk. And you're not one of them brown people that can't. And she just was going on and on and on. And he was like, what? No, get out of my car. Get out. And he basically you know, told him I'm canceling. And he did. He canceled the ride. He said, get out of my car. That's not appropriate. Get out of my car. And her male counterpart hadn't gotten in the car yet. And he was like, what's happening? What's going on? And he said, get out of my car. That's not appropriate. She said this, this, and this. And then he started, the male rider started cussing at him. And and he said, I'll call the police. It's all on my, you know, I've got it recorded on my dash cam, whatever. That is a a small thing because he could have just let them get in the car and take them for their ride. And in his mind go, damn it, I hate that. That's just awful. And go tell everybody, oh, I can't believe this writer said this, this, and this. But no, he did the right thing. And and he lost a fare on that. So he lost money out of his pocket for that. But he knew it was the right thing to do. Right. And that's a microcosm of what needs to be done on a big scale. Things need to be done on large and small (laughs) scales. And here's another concept that we need to wrap our arms around. What we need to get with is if we're looking at the situation of African-Americans being hunted in this country, that's just an example of the systemic racism that we're dealing with in this country. It's just one example. As a group of people, what we have to recognize is we need to get the assistance and buy-in of people that is not us, okay? We have to get people involved that have literally no skin in the game and explain the reasons why and get them on us for whatever reason. There's some complacent people out there saying, well, you know, they're organized. They got enough power. They got everything. No, we don't. We need to get come together on this. We're not going to be able to do it by ourselves. We do need to get together within a group. We do need that power, but we need to combine it with other people of conscience because without getting everybody of conscience together, we're not going to be able to solve any problems. And then we'll be able to address issues that are outside of us also. <clears throat> because as evil as it is to hunt down African-Americans, 
is just as evil to hunt down people because they're gay or to go after someone because they wear a turban or they go to a mosque. It's just as evil to keep someone down because of their gender or what they recognize as their gender. There's all these evils in the world that have to be addressed. And we can either wallow out in the fact that there's so much to be done or we can roll our sleeves up and get to work on fixing some of this stuff. And do our our small part, because if everybody does a small part, then that's okay. James, from a black person's perspective, let's say you have somebody that is a white person who's been raised in a certain um, mind frame and they know it's not right, but they don't really know how to not necessarily change, but be friends with people of color or how to how to learn about people of color because they've never been exposed to that. Is it okay to ask questions as a white person? Is it okay for me to ask questions? Not only is it okay for you to ask questions, as a black person who has some kind of interest in how people in the black community are going to be treated, it's almost an obligation that if you come to me with some honesty and ask me honest questions, I'm obligated to try and guide you and give you a good answer. You must be ready with a good answer. Is it exhausting? It can be. Yeah, it can It can be exhausting, but it's work worth doing. It, is it your responsibility or is it my responsibility? You have, I will say this, you have fulfilled your responsibility by asking the question. Then there's a new responsibility of me giving you an answer. I had a situation when I was in high school. We recently had moved from Brooklyn, New York to Greensboro, North Carolina and in high school and and I I truly believe, you know, this some you have to have some discernment. You know, some people are going to just try and be jerks about things and then ask you questions because they they want to make make fun of you or whatever. But this person was truly sincere when he asked me this question because he had grown up in a certain neighborhood, a certain area, been told certain things by his peers. But he he is the breakout person that questions that. Mm -hmm. Okay, you have to reward that. If you're being told something for generations by your family and you question it with somebody else, the person that they're talking about, you need to reward that. So the guy actually asked me, this is going to sound racist. He says, do you get cold in the wintertime like the rest of us? You know, Mm -hmm. the dark skin, does that help with the, you know, because he's asking me this. And it was a serious question and he wasn't doing it in the crowd. You know, they usually do it in the crowd if they want to make fun of you or whatever. Right. He asked me in private. So I explained to him. What was your first thought when he asked that? You were like, what? For a split second, I was like, is this guy making fun of me? Is he trying to get me to get in a fight with him or lose my cool? But the expression on his face and the expectation on his face of waiting for an answer told me, no, he's trying to check up on some foolishness that he was told. Right. He had a little instinct that this might be foolish and wants to check it out. Right. Which is good. So I rewarded him with, no, I get called just like you. Now, there's a little bit of a debate on people from different regions can take the cold better or whatever. Sure, that's a different... But Yeah, that's a different conversation. But I explained to him that the darkness of my skin does not keep me warmer than you in your in your light skin. I get cold just like you do. I, I coat just like you do in the wintertime. And he thanked me. Right. He thanked me because he knew he had an answer from the source. And that's the sort of thing that we have to, you know, embrace. And I know, I can only imagine from, especially this day and age, when everybody is trying to be 
woke, you know, if you want to use that word, that, that word has become a negative connotation too. But when people are trying to learn, that's basically what woke means. You're just trying to open up and be woken up from your ignorance. And I can only imagine from the perspective of a person of color, it can be exhausting to be asked the same ridiculous questions over and over again. But to that person, it's not a ridiculous question because it's the first time they've asked that question. Or it's the first time they've stepped outside of their box and out of their comfort zone to try to find some truth in their existence in this diverse world. So I can only imagine. I am not a person of color, so I don't know what that's like. Now, I can be sometimes given the title of the the chosen one in a group of white people because I've been married to a black man for 30 years. And they'll when the whole George Floyd thing happened back in 2020, when all of that was going on, I got asked all kinds... Co- Well, you should know because your husband, why should I know? Because my husband's black. I mean, I don't know. I'm white. I don't, that, you know. Now, some of the questions I could answer just from being uh, exposed to the African-American community, the black community, the culture for 30 years, but I would always tell them in conversations, I am a white person. Go find and make a relationship with people of color and people that don't look like you. Don't ask white people that are connected to black people. We're still white. We don't exist in brown skin. Mm -hmm. We have, I have the privilege of being white in America. If I am not walking down the street or in a business with my husband... I'm going to be treated as a white person and get all the privileges that a white person in America gets. And yes, there is white privilege. It has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with job status. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the fact that you can walk into a grocery store on a Saturday morning and not be murdered because you have brown skin. That's the privilege. I think we're kind of winding up to the end of the show. But I do think in our discussion, we've we've come upon how to address what's going on in this country and the next step. And with I'm going to ask for forgiveness for being a little poetic about things. Just like you battle darkness with light. The way we confront this and fight it, hate and fear is fought with knowledge and wisdom. And love. Yes. That's the light that's going to conquer this darkness. In whatever form that takes, that's what we have to get together on. So... I think we're at the, the end of our show for now. I know we talked about a lot of things that could be a bunch of shows within themselves. Absolutely. And we may address some of these things down the road. Um, and if any of you that are listening have any questions or topics that you want to hear talked about on the podcast, please leave a comment and let us know what those are. If you have uh, something that, you know, well, a topic that you would like us to talk about, we'll be glad to um, look into that and, and see if that's something we can talk about. If you want to share an experience that's been that pertains to what we've just been talking about. We'd love to hear it. Absolutely. Okay. So that's it for this episode. Tune in next time for more shenanigans.